0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. So we're excited um, to uh, get into God's Word today. If you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Revelation chapter 3. And um, again, if you're, if you're new here with us, we've been in a series called the Seven Churches to Revelation, the, 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 seven letter, the Seven Letters to the Churches of Revelation. Is that what we call it? The Seven Churches of Revelation. Basically, it's seven letters, seven letters from Jesus that he wrote to seven churches over there. Um, during, during during a time of uh, the early church, basically around 60 to 70 AD, after Jesus has, has resurrected, he gave John, the Apostle John, a vision and told him to write down these things and to send them to these seven churches. And so we are on the sixth week in Revelation chapter three. If you have your Bible, open up to the last book. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's some Bibles in your pew, and you are welcome to Take that home with you. It is our gift to you. We believe that God's word transforms, and uh, we believe that today he's got something that he wants to say to us as his church. Uh, Over and over again, we've come to the end of each of these letters, and what does he say? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this is churches plural, not just that church specifically. We want to hear what God has to say to us today. So let's uh, open up our Bible to Revelation three. We're looking at the church in Philadelphia today. And uh, before we read the text, what I want you to know about Philadelphia is that this is a church that uh, Jesus wrote to, and we've 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 seen the way that he's he's written to some other churches. There's there's uh, you know, there, there's commendation, there's correction, there's counsel, there's the crown. You know, these, these points that he focuses on. But to both Smyrna and to the church in Philadelphia, he only gives commendation. He tells them, here's what you're doing well. Here's, here's, here's the way that you have blessed my name. You have honored me as a church. And that is the Church of Philadelphia. And so as we, as we get into this completely positive letter, let's read the whole text together. And then we're going we're gonna to explain it and, um, and see what God has to say to us as his church today, okay? Revelation 3, 7 through 13, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who will shut and no one will open, I know your works." Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pray with me, Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would just uh, take take it and apply it into our hearts today, and God, that your Spirit would help us to, to just uh, obey it. And Lord, that you'd help me to communicate this word well, that we as a church might grow and learn how to obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, if you have notes... Uh, take them out. I've got a lot of notes this morning, and, uh, and so, so I'm going to just warn you, I'm going to move quick. Um, so if you miss a note, we'll post them online later. Um, but uh, first of all, we're going to talk about who this letter was written to, okay? And we're going to talk about the destination of the letter, the destination of the letter. Okay, fill that out. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, We've talked about this. Almost every single letter opens in this same way to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. The angel, we remember, is the word messenger. Angel means messenger. So it's not actually an angel with wings or something like that. It's actually the pastor of that church. He was the one that would take this letter and, and communicate it out to his congregation. And so he, he acted as a messenger, to the congregation there, it says to the church in Philadelphia. Here's here's some some interesting things about Philadelphia. That that was the destination of the letter, and you can actually go and visit Philadelphia today. Did you know that it is the modern day city of Elazer, and it is located in modern day Turkey. I've got a picture of this uh, this place here, right right behind me. They'll they'll bring it up in a second. Right. Uh, picture of Elizer, Yeah, there it is. Okay, that's actually a painting of some of the ancient ruins of Philadelphia that you can actually visit today. Um, if you uh, are join us on Wednesday night, we do a tour through the seven churches of Revelation, and we're seeing ex- footage of these churches every single week there. Um, but this city was actually founded as a missionary outpost, and that's not what you think it is because it was basically a missionary outpost for Greek culture. What they wanted to do was spread the Greek culture, the Greek language, the Greek way of life, the Greek religions. And, uh, and so, so this, this city was founded as an outpost to go and spread that throughout the ancient world. That's how it was founded. Philadelphia is also um, the name of several cities around the US. Uh, one specific city in in uh, in in is is in Pennsylvania and uh, and that is by the name of Philadelphia. There's actually 24 other cities around the world named Philadelphias as, as well. But Philadelphia means means this. It means brotherly love. And it was founded because of a man named Attalus II. He was the one who was nicknamed Philadelphius because of his loyal love to his own brother who preceded him then as, as king. And the coins of this period actually show several images of, of two identical brothers. You'll see that behind me there. Those are some ancient coins that show brotherly love. Well, brotherly love is, uh, comes, is, is, is what Philadelphia means and it, uh, it means, it, it, it comes from two words. Basically, the two words are phileo, which mean love, and adelphus, which means brother. Phileo, which means love, and adelphus, which means brother. And often, actually, in Scripture, what we are encouraged to do is to love each other as brothers, Right? Now the ancient Christians they were actually criticized and they were gossiped about because because people were like, man, are they are are they people that are you know commit incest with with each other? Because we would call each other brothers and sisters, right? But that's not what Jesus meant when he he said to call each other brothers and sisters. No, what he meant is that we have the same father, and that is our God. We have we have His salvation, and we have been adopted into His family. And so that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what, that is what, what was meant there. And so we, we understand this. Jesus actually said in John chapter 13, he said this, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved for one another. So love one another. That's what this city of Philadelphia was founded upon, but it is truly understood in how we, as followers of Jesus, relate with one another. We show unconditional, sacrificial love for one another, as Christ has shown to us. And by this, Jesus says, all men will know that you are my disciples. And so that's a little bit about the destination there. The destination was Philadelphia. But here we get into verse 7, the second part of verse 7. We see the description, the description. And this is, this is something that we see in who Jesus is. He talks about himself, and there's some deep, deep truths that I want you to grab a hold of as Jesus explains who he is. Jesus begins by giving him them some names. He says this. The words of the Holy One and the true one. The words of the Holy One and the true one. Two words Jesus uses to describe himself right here. What are they? The words holy and then the word true. The word holy and the word true. And maybe, maybe, um, maybe you've recently applied for a job and they've asked you, describe yourself. Using, using some words. What, what are some words that you would use to describe yourself? You've probably all done this before, maybe even on an application to college. And, um, and, you know, you'd use words like this. I'm, I'm ambitious, or I'm, I'm driven, I'm consistent, I'm positive, I'm task-oriented, or, or I'm faithful and dedicated, right? We would use words like this to describe ourselves, wouldn't we? But it makes me wonder how would we describe ourselves if we were having a bad day? Think about that. What would we put on that application on the days that we weren't going well? We'd probably use words like easily angered, flustered, lazy, anxious, quick-tempered. I could go on and on. But let's just realize this. We change, don't we? We change day to day based, on, based upon our circumstances, don't we? But Jesus does not change. Jesus does not change. And he says that he is holy and he is true. And it says in Scripture that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so realize what Jesus is going to say is not bound by how he's feeling day to day. No, these are attributes of our God. They don't change. Jesus is going to tell us about himself. He first says, he is holy. He is holy. You probably filled that one out already. But his holiness means this. Three things. That he is separate, he is transcendent, and he is pure. Let me explain that. So he is separate, meaning he is unlike us. He is unlike us. He is unique. He is distinct. He is in a category of his own. He is transcendent, meaning... We can't, we can't put limits on him. There is no barriers that can control him. He is transcendent. He is greater and above every barrier that we would, we would put in front of him in every single way. He's greater than anything else. And lastly, we know that his holiness means that he is pure. He is, he is pure. This means that every aspect of God's being is altogether flawless it is proper, it is perfect. So those three words can help us understand what what holy means. Jesus says, I am holy. I'm separate. I'm transcendent. I am pure. That is who I am. You'll probably remember Isaiah the prophet. He had a vision of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6 he says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, and here's part of what he saw. Look, look behind on the screen. He saw the seraphim crying out and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah got an image, got a picture, a vision of the throne room of God and of his holiness, And what did that cause him to do? It caused him to then look at himself. A couple of verses down, he said this, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Jesus is holy, and when we see God for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are. What his holiness tells us is that we are also unholy. And our sin, it separates us from a holy God. That's the beginning of what we understand as the message of the gospel. And that that is where we begin today in understanding who Jesus is. He is holy. He is set apart from us. Something has caused a divide between us and God, and that is our sin. That is our sin. But praise God, we, we, we are not left there. We see some other attributes of God. He says this, and the second one is this, Jesus is genuine. And he uses the word true right here. But, the, but a more accurate translation would be the word genuine. That's a Greek word that's being used right here. It means real. Jesus is saying that he is the truth. He is holy. And he is true. He is true in all of who he is. He is true in all who he claims to be. He is true. If you want to attach to something that is true, attach on to Jesus Christ. The philosophies of this world will fade. Someone new will come along and, and, and blow something up. But what we know is that Jesus does not lie. He is true in all of who he says he is. God is the measurement of our truth. And so we see that he is holy, he is true, and as a church, as, as, as we look at those two words, we understand who Jesus is, but we also understand who Jesus has called us to be. We're called to be like Christ, aren't we? And so when we see that he is holy and true, we see that he not only wants us to be holy, but he also wants us to be genuine, true, unhypocritical. That's who Jesus has called us to be, and he's given us the ability to be that because of what he has done, his righteousness. He is holy, and he is true, genuine. The last last one here that we see in the description is of his sovereignty. He describes that he is sovereign. Okay, look at, look at that verse. He's the Holy One and the True One. And what does he say next? He, he, he brings this visual illustration for us to understand. He's sovereign. He says, to the angel of the church, write the words of the Holy One and the True One, who has the key of David. What does that mean? Who opens and no one will shut. Who Shuts and no one opens. Jesus calls himself the one who holds the key of David. What does it mean? Why does he call himself that? Let me explain it. Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And what he was saying was that uh, he is like the ancient gatekeeper that was talked about there in that book. His name was Elichim. And it's recorded that he carried the keys to the kingdom. I brought some scripture with me. And so I want, want, want you to read this with me. It's from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20. And it says this. In that day, I will call my servant Elikim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with your robe. And I will bind your sash on him, and I will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And here's where we really understand what Jesus is saying. Verse 22, he said, and I will place on his shoulder, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. See, Elikim, his role was that he was the keeper of the keys. He had the keys to the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying is this, just as Elikim could open doors that no one could shut and he could shut doors that no one can open, that is who I am. I have the keys to the kingdom. I am sovereign. I hold the keys to the doors. I have the power to open doors and close doors. I have the power to admit and to exclude. That is who I am. I have ultimate authority in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about this. I was here at church yesterday. I was actually working um, working getting this door ready. Uh, David chick uh, chick helped me, helped me put this together. Um, this week, and we're going to use it throughout throughout this message to help us really understand what's going on. But I was here with my kids, and I didn't realize that there was a sermon illustration brewing. Okay, because when I come on a Saturday to church, I want to make sure that with my kids especially, I want to make sure that the church is ready to go. Okay, I don't want my kids going into the rooms and pulling out all the toys and throwing candy wrappers everywhere. And so what I did is I took my key, my church key and I locked the kids' area so they couldn't get back that far, okay? Because what they know is this, especially Jesse. He knows Miss Megan has candy. (laughs) He does. And what they do is they, they go back there, and they'll steal Miss Megan's candy, okay? This is a confession. It's the pastor's kids stealing in church, okay? It doesn't get much worse than that, okay? But they steal candy, in the church. And there's a whole mess of candy wrappers every time we come to church, unless I lock them out of that area. Well, this was the first time I actually had that ability to do it. And I thought of it and I did it. And so for an hour, while I was working on this and cleaning up in the sanctuary, guess what they were doing? They were searching the whole church for keys (laughs) <laughs> That's what they were doing. They were going in the closets, searching, and there's a whole bunch of old keys around here because we just changed the locks. And they didn't realize that, though. They tried, to, they tried to jimmy their way into that door at the end of the hallway. They actually even went outside, and they realized, oh, guess what? I know which key it is. It's the master key. It's the master key for the church. It's the, it's the key that Dad has that you can use to get into the kids' area. From the outside so we're gonna grab dad's keys dad can we have your keys and I said no no I said I have a job for you let's go (laughs) but basically what, what they realized is this one key that I have has the ability to get into where they wanted to go and that's what Jesus was saying he was saying this I hold the key I have the key to the kingdom when I open the door no one can shut it. When I close the door, no one can open it. Now get this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start using this right now. A lot of us carry a lot of keys, don't we? But does every key work on the same door? No, it doesn't. Not unless, not unless it's been cut for that specific, specific door. And so when I, when I come to this door, I, I can't use this key. It's not, it's not going to go in. I can't use this key it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to open the door, does it? It doesn't work. And that's exactly what we try to do with God, don't we? We try and use our own keys to get into the, the kingdom of God. We say, oh, I'll, I'll go to church. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll pray. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get involved with the community, right? I'll start serving in the community. I'll, I'll be a really good moral person okay? I'll I'll even, I'll even do a really big thing, and I'll give lots and lots of money. And we try and get into God's kingdom with our own keys, right? We do. We try to do this. But don't we realize that Jesus himself has the key to the kingdom of God? That is who Jesus is. He's saying this right here. Jesus actually goes even further to say this, There's a scripture that says this in John chapter 10, 9 and 10. He not only has the keys, but he himself is the door. He himself is the door. Read John 10, 9 and 10 with me. Here we go. He says, I am the door. He says this multiple times in scripture. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. See, the reality is this. We talked about how God is holy, didn't we? The reality is our sin separates us from a holy God. We can't get into the door. We can't get in on our own. We don't have the key. And no matter how much you try, you cannot open that door because it is locked. God is holy, and he cannot have sin in his heaven. But praise God, Jesus holds the key. What Jesus did is that he, he came down to this earth. He became like one of us. He took on human flesh. He experienced everything that we do. It says, yet was without sin. He maintained his holiness and as a holy God, what he did is because sin, our our sin deserves, says in scripture that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he did is he took our sin upon himself. He died. He was buried. He experienced the wrath of God on our behalf. He experienced death and separation from God so that he could then Hold the key to eternity. And what he did is he took that key. We know that he split that temple veil wide open, right? He opened the door. He, he took that key and, and he, he unlocked the door and he opened the way for us to God. That is what Jesus did. And that is what he says he, he has given us then an open door. He opened the way for us to God. He holds the key, and he is the door. So, where do we go from this? There's a few scriptures I want to just skip over, but basically what I want you to realize is this. Jesus holds the keys. Jesus holds the keys. And I'm going to skip on PowerPoint to John chapter 14, verse 6, because this is, this is if you leave with anything what you need to leave with. Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. No man comes to the Father but through me. You cannot get into God's heaven unless you come through the door, through Jesus Christ. And praise God, what he did is he holds the key and he opened the door for us to come to God, right? Praise God. Have you received it? Have you accepted it? Do you believe that he is the way and the truth and the life, and have you come to him through Jesus? That's the message of the gospel. You cannot have hope without Jesus, okay? And this is the message that we want our valley to hear, don't we? We want our valley to hear. When we say we're for the valley, what that means is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That we want people to know that so that they can find hope and healing in his name. It doesn't come through any other way. It doesn't come. It's all, it's it's all, everything else doesn't matter. It's all in Jesus. And so as, as, we, as we keep on going, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to describe something further for us that I think we're going to attach onto as a church and really understand what's our role in this. He describes for us a healthy church. He describes for us a church that Jesus is blessing. And what he does is he, he goes on in a description. This is, this is the third point. If you're taking notes, the description of the church, he describes this church in four different ways, okay? And here's the four different ways that he describes it. Number one, he continues this illustration. He holds the key, but he says, I've given you an open door. He said, they have an open door. Philadelphia has an open door, and this was a door that was opened by God, this door was opened by God. He said this in verse 8. He said, I know your works. That's kind of scary. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now, we, we remember he holds the keys and he says this. I've given you as a church a great opportunity. Now, there, we can understand this in a couple of ways. First, we can understand it in the way that I just talked about. We can understand it in the way that Jesus is saying, hey, Church, I am the door. I am the door, and I have set before you an open door. Enter into eternity through me, repenting of your sins and trusting in my work on your behalf, making a way for you to God, making a way for the people of of Philadelphia for you to come to God, making a way for all the people who pass through your city to know about Jesus. I've made a way, the open door, okay? Here's the second way then I think we can understand it. He's saying, I've given you an open door of opportunity. I've given you an open door of opportunity. I have opened a door for you. Now, sometimes we use this illustration, you know, God God opens and closes doors, right? How many of you have had an open door in your life before, right? You can raise your hand. Yeah, that's okay. How many of you at the same time, you know, another point in life have had a closed door in your life? Yeah, Yeah, we've all had that, okay? And what what we realize is this. My door almost fell over. (laughs) What we realize is this. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who opens doors, and I'm the one who closes doors. Did you know that he opens doors for churches, and he closes doors for churches? He also opens doors for ministry in your life for you to share the gospel, and he closes doors for the gospel to go out through you in your life. He's telling this to the church I have opened the door for you as an opportunity to share the gospel. I have given you an opportunity to share my word, to give hope and healing to your valley, to where you are. And I love this um, because history and archaeology has helped us to understand what this church was dealing with during that time, what this church in Philadelphia was dealing with. You can read up a man named Sir William Ramsey. He was a famous historian in archaeology who did some really, really deep work into the seven churches of Revelation. And here is what he said. Here's what he said. And, and this is crazy. Okay, so, so I, I'm sorry I don't have it up on the screen, but just listen up. This is really, really gold. He said, Philadelphia was located in the upper extremity of a long valley. Okay, think about this. This is crazy. It was located at the upper extremity of a long valley, which opened back from the sea. After passing Philadelphia, the road along this valley ascends to the Phrygian land and the great central plateau of the main mass of Asia Minor. And the road was that went through Philadelphia was was one which led from the harbor of Smyrna to the northeastern part of Asia Minor and the east in general. Philadelphia, therefore, was the keeper of the gateway to the plateau. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, here's Smyrna, okay? They're a port city. Here's a big valley, a deep valley, and here's Philadelphia right right at the entrance of that valley. And here's the rest of Asia Minor, the, the, the high country, the, the plateau, one country, another country. Guess, guess where people had to travel through? Through the valley, right? Through the valley. They had to go through there. So merchants and travelers, and you know, if you're traveling to see your, your mother-in-law, you had to go through the valley in order to get to where you needed to go. And Jesus is saying, I've given you a door of opportunity because people are coming right through your city. I've given you this door of opportunity that no one can shut, a door of opportunity for the gospel to go out that I want you as a church to take advantage of. Now, I think the parallels are almost obvious for us as we read this, because where has God placed us? In a valley, right? What goes right right down this valley? A couple roads, right? Route 2. And Seven in Ohio, right? And you have to, you have to drive through the valley unless you want to take the long, windy roads through, through the hills, don't you? We made that mistake when we moved here. Did you know that? <laughs> For those of you that, uh, that knew us before, we, we, that, that knew us right when we came to this church, what we did is, have you driven on 536 before? Yeah. With a trailer? No, you don't want to do that. There's a big sign that says no trucks, okay? No big trucks. There's a reason for that. Because we took that windy road of 536, and it took us an extra probably hour and a half to get, get into here. Because we didn't know that we needed to drive through the valley. We learned that. We learned it. And that is where God has placed us. He's placed us right here in this valley along a very trafficked route to did you know that there is actually 35,000 to 40,000 cars that drive by our church every single week? Isn't that nuts? It's a high-traffic road, an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the gospel, an opportunity that I don't think we, we actually think about that much, but it's an opportunity that people can see and become aware of what happens here. It's an opportunity that we need to take advantage of. Just like Jesus was saying, I've placed before you an open door. I think this is an open door. Okay? Here's the other thing. We live in a digital world, don't we? We go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the digital right now. I've got my sermon on an iPad. I would not have done that years ago. But, but I, I go from digital to analog seamlessly all throughout my day. Digital, analog, digital, anal, analog. It's how we talk to each other. It's how we communicate with each other. It's how we stay, you know, stay in touch, how we do our work, right? We live in a digital world. And this is also, for the church, a wide-open door of opportunity for us that we got to take advantage of. You may, you may have seen some cameras lately in the church. We've been spending a little bit more money trying to get the message of the gospel out to our community, out into the world, so that they can hear it. They may may never come into this room. A lot of people may never come into this room, but guess what they'll do? They'll open up Facebook or Instagram or Google, and they'll watch a message. They'll get on YouTube, and they'll watch something from our church, and guess what? That is an open door for the gospel that we need to realize, and we need to take that opportunity to use. You know, God has also given you opportunities wherever you work. God has given you an opportunity where you work. You may be like, I I don't know if I have an open door or not. Let me ask you a question. Do the people that you work with know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Because they may never come to church, but they'll listen to you. And have you taken that opportunity to share the gospel with them. That's my challenge to you this week. Take that opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. You can talk to people that I could never talk to because you know them, because you're in a relationship with them. And you don't know whether there's an open door or a closed door until you try it, right? But what Jesus says is this, I open doors and I close doors and I have the keys so that's the first point, okay? That was a long one. We're going we're to move quickly. We got to, okay? But, but here's the thing. Jesus held the keys for them. They had an open door of opportunity. I believe we as a church have open doors of opportunity as well for us, probably in so many ways that I haven't even mentioned yet. But here's the other thing that, that made them a healthy church. Number two, if you're taking notes, they had little strength. They had little strength. They had a reliance upon their God. He says, I know that you have but little power. Okay, that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? You have little power? Uh, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it sounds like a, a backhanded compliment, doesn't it? You're weak. You have little strength. What's a backhanded compliment? It's a compliment that's not really a compliment, it's like, it's like someone saying, well, that, that was surprisingly good. Or, I can't believe you, you got that job. Or, man, your preaching is really improving. Or, or <laughs> I had to throw that one in. Or, man, I, I wish that I could just be as chill as you are about having a messy house. Right? Oh, <laughs> a backhanded compliment. Jesus is not giving them a backhanded compliment. He is saying, I am truly, truly thankful that you are weak because in your weakness, my power is made strong. This was a weak church. This was a church of little strength in itself so that the source of its power might rest in God alone. This church had a great open door, but they knew that they were not capable of opening that door or walking through that door without the power of God. They knew that they could not do it in their own strength. And church, we've got to realize this. As much as we realize there are open doors for the gospel today, we need to realize, first of all, that we are weak and that we can't control the outcomes, that we cannot cannot, through money or through buildings or through personalities or fame or prominence or people or reputation or marketing, or whatever you put in there, music, methods, strategy, whatever you think that you can control, you cannot produce effective ministry yourself. You cannot. It is the Lord alone who gives the increase, and that should put us on our knees as a church to help us realize that we are weak. He is strong. He is strong. Paul, he is a great example of this. Because he dealt with an area of weakness, didn't he? As much as as we we think about Paul's strength, he he, he said that he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is, but Jesus' response to him was this. My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This church in Philadelphia, they, they knew poverty, and they knew that they needed God's strength. You may be here, and you may be feeling weak right now. You may be feeling like, I don't know if I can go on, but realize this, where you are weak, Jesus is strong. He'll meet you in that place. He'll bring hope and healing to, to whatever situation you're dealing with right now. He will help you to move on in His strength. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. So, we see that they had little strength. Third, they had a commitment to the Word of God. A commitment to the Word of God. We're going to move through these next two a little quick. But Jesus tells them this. You have kept my word. Not only did they realize that it was important for them as a church to stand upon the Word of God to preach the truth, unashamed. But they realized that that was important for each of them in their personal lives. Don't just come to church and hear the Bible. Read the Bible yourself. Be committed to it yourself. Jesus commends them for that. And he goes on to say this, that they had a deep loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's the fourth one. They had a deep loyalty to Jesus Christ. He says, you have not denied my name You've not denied my name. During, during that time, what they were required to do because of that Hellenistic culture, the, the Greek culture there, they were, they were forced to um, come publicly and say Caesar is Lord. He was the Lord during that time. They believed that he was a God, and he had to go in there and offer incense, and if you wanted to hold down a, a decent job, you were required to do that. Well, they refused. They refused. They said, Jesus is Lord. We will not compromise. They had a deep loyalty to Jesus Christ. So let's just review. When we look back at this church that God is blessing, what, what did they do? What did they do? This church that God had commended and opened doors of opportunity for? Number one, they had an open door. God had opened a door for them of evangelistic opportunity. Number two, they had little strength. Number three, they had a commitment to the word of God. And number four, they had deep loyalty to Jesus Christ. That is who they were. And I believe that if if we are to be a church that honors God, we should be doing these four things. We should be doing these four things. That they put themselves in a position where God could do some great things through them. All right, we're on the final stretch. Let's look at the promises of, of Christ to his church. The promises of Christ to his church. This is number four. Verse nine, verse nine, what does Jesus say? He says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Once again, we run into these Jews who had denied that Jesus was the Messiah, and they were persecuting Christians. Basically, they would report these Christians to, to the, the, the Roman authorities or the authorities during that time, and they would, they would imprison them and throw, throw, throw them into persecution. Um, and, and Christians were tortured and persecuted socially and, and economically all over the place. Well, Jesus says to this church, don't worry. Don't worry. I will one day make them bow before me in your presence. I will make them bow. They will bow their knee, and not to you, but to me. To me, because I am the Lord. Let me tell you, when you're living for Jesus, God will fight your battles for you. Our battles are not against flesh and blood, are they? No, they're not. They're not. Jesus says one day every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Don't worry about it. Jesus promises to fight your battles. He will humble your enemies. Number 2. He promises to keep them from the hour of trial. Promises to keep them from the hour of trial. Let me just let me just tell you there's a lot of fear that's going around about the end times and the tribulation and, and, you know, some people actually avoid the whole book of Revelation because they're actually scared of it and they, they don't really want to know what's going to happen. Uh, you, you know, you, you have all these books that have come out too about the end times and, and a lot of people have gotten fearful about that time. But can I just tell you, we don't have to fear. Jesus makes a promise to this church. He promises to keep them from the hour of trial. Okay, that's what he says. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, church, if you don't know what the tribulation is, it can be described with one word, and it's the word condemnation. Condemnation. But if you know Jesus if you've walked through this door, if you've come to Jesus in repentance and faith, what we know is Jesus said this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. So, so when we see what Jesus says to this church, what we realize is that he's telling them, church, you're not going to have to endure that tribulation. If you look at the book of Revelation, chapters 1 through 5, they talk about the church. But once we, once we get past that, through chapters, is it 21 or 22 chapters in Revelation? I forget. Um, but the rest of the chapters in Revelation, guess what? We don't hear about the church. Why? Because it talks about the tribulation. It talks about that, that last period of, of time before Christ inaugurates his kingdom. And we see the church is absent. Where's the church? Well, the church is with... But Jesus, the church has ascended, and this is, this is, this scripture right here in Revelation 3, verse 10, is one reason why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But it's also, um, there's, there's another verse in in 1 Thessalonians 4, is is another reason. I, I use this when I, when I preach at funerals all the time, because I want people to be aware of the Lord's coming. Read these with me. It says this, but we don't want you to be uninformed. We want you to be informed about those who are asleep. That means dead. That you may not grieve as as others do who have no hope. We don't want you to grieve as others do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God will do that. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and the dead and the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The last verse says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged, church. We who are alive and who are left will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air if you've entered through Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. You can have that hope. And so he promises to keep them from the hour of trial. Here's the last one. Promises to come quickly. He promises to come quickly. He says this, for I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. When Jesus says, I am coming soon, the Greek word that's used here should be understood as Jesus saying that he is coming suddenly or coming unexpectedly, not necessarily quickly or immediately. And so he says, until that time, hold fast, hold fast and be faithful. Hold fast and stay faithful. Hold fast to the foundation that he had just described, to the open door, to reliance on God, to faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you, are you holding fast to Jesus? Are you holding fast to Jesus? Let's stand together. Let's end this time out. I'm going to invite the band to come on forward. As we read these last verses, they'll be up on the screen for us. What Jesus promises is this. The one who conquers, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. I believe we want that, church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes right now and pray. The reality is this: God has opened a door of salvation to us, to you, to the people of our valley. Can I ask you this one big question? Will we as Valley Church? Valley Church is our future name. Will we as Valley Church be known as the church of the open door? Will we be known as a church of the open door? Because that takes each one of us presenting that open door to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to the people that we associate with here in this valley. Will we be the church of the open door? Let me ask you that. Will we be the church that proclaims Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Church, let's make that commitment right now. We will be that church. We will be that church that does not compromise. We will be the church that takes that opportunity. We will be the church of the open door. And so let's pray for each other. Let's pray God's power being made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray that we might be faithful till the end. Father, thank you that you have allowed your church to be faithful to you. Lord, we see this church in Philadelphia. We see their faithfulness, and we want to emulate it, God. Help us, Lord, to take every opportunity to share you, Jesus, that we would be weak and rely on your strength, that we would not compromise your word and that we would hold fast to Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be that church, we pray for your glory and for the spread of the gospel through the valley, for the hope of the world. God, we know you and we love you. So you keep on praying today. Jesus said this, I am the door. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. He shall be saved. God has set before you an open door. My question is also, have you entered it? Have you believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? See, Jesus holds the keys to death in hell. And he's opened the way through his death and his resurrection for you to come to God. And so today, if you're hearing his voice and you want to come to him, why don't you just raise up your hand? Just let me know. You can look at me. Yeah. We want to pray for you and we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you that you might follow Jesus and enter through this door today. I want to to lead you to do that. To enter into the door of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. What happens is, is, is it happens by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus so if you're ready to receive him today with eyes with eyes closed with heads bowed, maybe your hand raised if you want to know Jesus today, pray this prayer with me Jesus, I need you. I cannot save myself. I confess my sin and repent of it And I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead. I believe that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. Will you save me? I give you my all today and declare from this moment that you have full control of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and making me whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.